0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in Mum Talk to be honest, real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments. Wherever you may be, thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation. Nourish is a wellbeing app created by mums for mums, offering bite-sized calm and wellbeing at your fingertips. The app is an on-demand library of meditations, videos and quick reads across mindfulness, yoga nidra, psychology and much more all tailored to the emotions and challenges we face as mums. It's a support team of wellbeing experts in your pocket who are all mums themselves who get it. Try Nourish to de-stress, restore and reboot and find more love, joy and calm in the chaos and pressures of modern mum life. Nourish was named App of the Day by Apple and is free to download and explore on iOS and Android. Check it out at thenourishapp.com. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk Series 9, Episode 7. And today I am talking with Claire Bourne. She is a pelvic health physiotherapist and she is here to talk all about pelvic health. She has a huge passion to support women throughout their lives. She believes in talking openly about taboo topics and ensuring everyone feels comfortable to get support, even for problems that may feel embarrassing. Claire has a particular passion in supporting women during pregnancy and after birth, helping them to seek treatment for any pain or pelvic floor dysfunction they experience. Claire is also a mum of two, and having lived pregnancy and the postnatal experience, she knows what a precious but also vulnerable and sometimes lonely experience it can be. Claire joins me today to talk all about pelvic health, from pelvic floor exercises to painful sex plus answers all of your questions that you guys sent in. If you had any questions from my chat with Charlie, a few podcasts back from Bumps and Burpees that we didn't get to answer, they are answered within this podcast with Claire. I hope you find this brilliant, informative, knowledgeable podcast from Claire really, really helpful. So Claire, tell us um, about general pelvic health. What do we want? What do we want it to feel like? Whether we are prenatal or postnatal, um, what do we want it to feel like down there?
1: Great, yeah. So I think first of all, always helpful just to know where our pelvic floor is because I think still so many women aren't hundred percent sure. It may be the first time they've ever heard about the pelvic floor muscles was pregnancy, and you're sort of given this advice: do pelvic floor exercises, but if you've never done them before and you've never been told about them, it's actually really hard to know what to do. Mm. I think so from an anatomy point of view, they literally sit in where they are, where they state they are in the floor of the pelvis. So they kind of come around your back passage around the vagina and they keep us, you know, continent. So I think first step is, can you even identify with those muscles? So for a lot of women, it's thinking about holding wind is a very good cue so literally just thinking holding wind letting go and I think the main thing I would say is it less is more often I think when we hear like pelvic floor exercise you think right exercise I give it 110% and sometimes I think we can kind of overdo it a little bit Mm. so I'm often just like just it's a really gentle feeling you'll just feel a tightening um around your back passage around the vagina um and then you'll feel a let go and that's the main thing that you're looking for um and, and really, want, if you can identify that, you're well on your way. <laughs> mm. And I think as pregnancy goes on, what you're looking to, to just make sure is that you continue doing daily pelvic floor exercises. And we should ideally be doing sort of two different types. So the same contraction in the sense of hold, wind, let go. Though I must say that not everyone is the same. So if, say, you try, I think, hold, wind, and you just think nothing's happening down there try something else, think hold urine, or think some people find this idea of a jellyfish kind of moving up and down is helpful. You know, there's loads of visualizations that will work for different people. Um, So it's really just about finding what works for you. So you do ideally 10, where you just hold, let go, Um, and then 10, where you'll basically squeeze, hold that contraction for five to 10 seconds whilst you breathe, and the breathing is really important, and then you let go. So you're meant to be focusing on those sort of two different types of contraction as such. Um, But really, if you can do that, that is the main focus. And that's what you should be aiming to feel. Um, You know, things do change and feel a bit funny in pregnancy, you get, you know, a lot more swelling and kind of the vulva vaginal area. So it will feel different. Um, But I think from a pelvic health point of view, what we're aiming for is that We don't want to be experiencing incontinence. Um, But some women do experience that before pregnancy, in pregnancy and postpartum. Um, But that's not something that we should be having to live with. Um, And so... That's where kind of pelvic floor exercises do come into play. Um, Other things you may experience at some point in your life are sort of an experience of heaviness or a dragging sensation, which could be an indication of a prolapse, which I think becomes quite a scary term. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think behind all of this is, yes, this is all our pelvic health. And essentially, if anything just doesn't feel right down there, the chances are is that it's not. And actually, that's where a pelvic health physio like myself or speaking to your GP can really, really help you. Um, But foundational to it all is just knowing where the pelvic floor muscles are and how to engage them and knowing that that's part of our life um, and it isn't just something we should kind of bookend for pregnancy and postpartum but it's actually something we should almost embrace as part of our life and our wellness and going kind of forwards so
0: and yeah. if there's anyone listening right now thinking while i'm trying to squeeze i can't feel anything at all what's the next step there so what I'd probably encourage
1: them to do is actually think, okay, don't worry about the squeezing. Let's almost just think about letting go and relaxing because some of us will just sit naturally where we're actually just holding our pelvic floor quite tight and actually you won't necessarily feel anything because actually you're not relaxing it at first. So I would say mm-hmm. a bit like an arm. If you were just holding your elbow bent all the time, you, there's not really any movement of the arm. Whereas actually if you learn to like let the arm relax, you can then feel the movement again. And It's the same with the pelvic floor. And I think, you know, Naturally, some of us are just much more on a what we'd probably call a tighter spectrum. Or if you, you know, at the moment there's a lot of stress around, mm-hmm. so stress impacts our body and our pelvic floor. So, what I'd probably encourage them to do is actually just sitting or lying down, put one hand on sort of the side of your rib cage and one hand on your tummy, and just work on really deep breaths in to your rib cage. Your rib cage should feel like it's expanding outwards, and your, peli, your belly is basically expanding. Um, And just really work on breathing and, and visualizing around the vaginal area, sort of just letting go. And then trying again to think, okay, right, now I've worked on, say, 10 to 15 breaths of letting go. Can I now feel a squeeze again? Because sometimes it'll be amazing once you have let that muscle go, you'll feel a squeeze again. If you've tried all of that and there is absolutely you are nothing is going on down there, that's when you really try need to try and see a physio like myself, um, because we are then trained to assess the muscle and really work out what specifically is going on for you and how we can help you engage with that. And there's so many different ways of doing that mm. um and that, this is why pelvic floor is so much more than just here's a leaflet crack on mm. um, because you know lots of women actually don't know how to do them correctly um and that's totally i mean that's why you have personal trainers and things do you know what i mean because actually mm. all exercise and all movement of the body often needs a little bit of coaching um, and then the pelvic floor is no different it's obviously just a bit funny because of where it lies in our body we think we just think about it differently but it's a muscle like any other muscle in the body
0: absolutely I mean I personally am absolutely rubbish, rubbish. at trying to remember <laughs> to do my pelvic <laughs> floors and I'm so lazy with it
1: yeah well you're not alone there I mean I think that's a lot of us and even I have days where I'm like I have done none and I'm like you talk about this all the time this is shocking. Um and I you know I absolutely know the benefits but I think the thing is when it it's not like you go and do a pelvic floor class, is it? You know, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of us, especially during motherhood, you know, you're like, if you have that protected class, you know, it's going to happen or you've got this program that you're following. You don't have that with your pelvic floor. You're not like, I'm going to do my three pelvic floor workouts a week. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's just not like that. But then equally in motherhood, unless something is protected, I mean, we can't even go to the toilet alone, let alone yeah. find time to do our pelvic floor exercises alone, you know. So I never, ever judge a woman when she's like, I just haven't done any or I'm rubbish at doing them or I just, you know. I, I'm like I'm the same you know it is hard to find protected time but I think it's just it, it it's finding routine in some way we often describe it like doing your teeth you know you just yes you, you bookend your day with doing your teeth because you know if you don't it's not great for your teeth and the dentist isn't going to be happy with you yeah <laughs> so it, it's just about trying to find that routine in your day in early motherhood i always recommend doing it with feeding the baby because you do it so regularly and even if you just do three with every feed you're going to get a good number going on um i used to really think about them in my night feeds because i was like i'm up anyway there's nothing else to think about it's only so much trash i can watch i'll try and do some pelvic floor at the same time um and i think once you find a routine but i think it gets harder as your kids get older because life just becomes much more dynamic you know i mean you don't really sit down with them anymore they're all over the place um and I think that's why I'm really keen to get mums doing it functionally. So upright, standing. And that's such an important thing as part of our rehabbing our pelvic floor as well. And I think we often don't talk about that. We're like, oh, we do it sitting in line. But actually, we need to get women standing and doing them as many in standing because that's hard. And most of us, if we're going to have pelvic floor symptoms, it's not in sitting or lying. No. And let's face it, how many of us spend much time doing that anyway? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we need to train mums. so that's when I'm like, OK, if you're cooking and you're stood by the cooker, do five there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in the park and you're pushing a swing, do five there. Just take it as like, I don't need to just be lying down to do these. Once you get functional, you can do them anywhere. Um, and I think everyone is different. You know, personality types are different. So whatever kind of works for you. I know some women really um, like devices um, So sort of what we would call biofeedback feedback devices um, that you can pop inside the vagina and it basically picks up your pelvic floor movement and activity um, there's lots of different ones on the market so they basically just feedback to you what your pelvic floor is doing and and some women are like you know that's my a bit like that's my PT session with my pelvic floor because I've got it protected and I know I'm going to do it I'm personally not great at doing that because I find it hard to find 20 minutes to sit down and do that whereas I'd much rather just fit it into my day but, again, it's just finding what works for you. And there is absolutely no one-size-fits-all. What do you think of the, the
0: gadgets, gadgets that you can <laughs> buy?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think they absolutely have a place. And as physios, you know, we, ha- we do recommend them. I think the main thing we always have to focus on, and, and as a physiotherapist I come back to, is what do the guidelines say that we should follow in the UK? Mm. And what they state currently is that they shouldn't be routinely used for all women. essentially if you are able to contract your pelvic floor yourself you can essentially get the benefits that you need by doing your own pelvic floor contractions however that is an in an ideal scenario where maybe you've been able to see a physio they've confirmed that you're doing everything correctly you feel confident and you know what to do and you feel like you can fit it into your life (laughs) do you know what i mean and then that's the percentage of the population that that is in the uk is quite small whereas you'll have another you know there's a lot of other women who are like actually I can't get to see a physio. I've tried, and actually, having a device that tells me more of what's going on is really beneficial. Um, or, you know, actually, I'm really struggling, as I say, to kind of motivate myself to protect that time for my pelvic floor. And if I invest in a device, I'm more likely, you know, to invest in doing it. Mm. So they absolutely have a place. It's just we don't necessarily need to say to every woman, you need a gadget to do your pelvic floor, because you don't need a gadget some women will definitely benefit from it. Um, And they definitely have a place to say with like adherence, like doing your exercises and kind of, you know, signing up to it. Um, But yeah, everyone. And I think the other thing with devices, they sit in two main camps. So by feedback where that just picks up what your pelvic floor is doing, or sort of they vibrate and tell you kind of where to squeeze or ones that actually stimulate your muscles. And so stimulation devices, um, They're really helpful for women who really can't feel their pelvic floor contraction like at all, or we are struggling as physiotherapists to help them as well engage with those muscles. And and so they, they have a really wonderful place, but I think this is the other thing. It's like knowing what is right for you Mm -hmm. um, because someone who needs a stimulation device is different to someone who needs a biofeedback device and, and and it's breaking that sort of down. Um, So yeah, I think my message often is if you can definitely try and see a physio first, um, cause they'll send, if you're going to get a device, it's similar price sometimes if you're going privately or NHS, you know, there's physios all over the NHS. Um, they might advise that you do need one or, or don't need one, but they'll also tell you the right one to get for you. Um, right. cause it you know, is a big market and yeah. you know, there's amazing products out there, but they're only going to work for you if it's right for you. You mm. know, does that make sense? So it's just trying yeah. to tailor that, um, to the individual and the woman completely
0: so let's move on that's to some that, questions because yes. we have a lot yeah. of questions, <laughs> <laughs> to <laughs> Love questions to get through true. i'm going to try and break, them, break them into kind of prenatal and postnatal um so it's a little bit clearer to listen to so let's start with pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy and this is actually Great. something that I'm not sure if it's pelvic girdle pain or if it's just um, kind of SI pain. I don't I don't know if it's the same thing. Um, yeah. And it's something I'm personally struggling with in my second. I didn't have it at all in my first. But I know that there's a lot of women who struggle with pelvic mm. girdle pain and also worry that it's going to be so much worse during labour and will it ever go again afterwards. Yeah, of course. So,
1: yeah, so pelvic girdle pain is now the um, umbrella term that's used for sort of any pain around the pelvic area so that could be pubic bone at the front or SI joints so as you said sacroiliac joints at the back um, so obviously every woman will present differently, but the umbrella term is pelvic girdle pain. Mm. We think around one in four women are will it be affected. So that is an awful lot of women. Mm. And I think, sadly, the narrative is still a little bit, oh, this is just something that comes with pregnancy. And I think we're desperately trying to change that narrative and say, no, actually, we need to support women earlier to try and help them sort of in their you know, pain journey. So um, I think what's really helpful and, and really important for us to discuss is the sort of change in uh the sort of understanding of what causes pelvic girdle pain. So historically it would always be like it's the fault of relaxin which you may have heard about so relaxin being the hormone that increases in the body during pregnancy. Um, and though yes that is true relaxin is in the body and it, there we have high levels and that does have some impact on our kind of soft tissues and our joints that is not the cause that has been disproved it's not the cause of pelvic girdle pain in the way that it sort of used to get blamed um, and so therefore we're kind of moving away from this fact that actually pelvic stability as such is the issue here again we've now got more studies that prove that actually the pelvis is an incredibly stable um, wonderful structure um, doing amazing things and actually we should be encouraging women that you know your pelvis is not unstable and you've got a stable pelvis and what causes it is a whole mixture of things. And actually, we're still trying to really understand exactly what is causing it. And and every woman will be different. So previous trauma, So, if you've had a previous fall or injury to the area, your back, your pelvis, that can be a factor. Um, if you've... Um, Um, You know, again, having multiple babies, you know, weight around the area that can have an impact. Um, Also, we need to really think about the emotional and mental side of things. So Mm -hmm. I think what you've touched on there beautifully is you start having some pain and then the fear sets in, doesn't it? And maybe Mm -hmm. you're told, well, this is just it now or it's just going to get worse until you have a baby. Uh, And then the fear sets in and, and that fear has a humongous impact on our body. And without going too deep into sort of pain science and all that sort of stuff, but pain in the body is fascinating. And actually, once we experience pain and sort of fear and all that sort of stuff, it has a huge impact on us um, as well. So again, as it, it's a complicated topic, but I think the main message that women need to understand is that it is absolutely treatable and that actually you having pelvic girdle pain is not a sign that your pelvis is giving up on you or it's unstable or anything like that. Um, Yes, as physiotherapists, we need to assess you. um, And that is accessible on the NHS. I know sometimes the routes in are confusing and not easy at times. Um, And yes, it may involve some hands-on treatment often the right movement and the right exercise will really help you so that doesn't necessarily mean our full focus um, is going to be on right you need to just stabilize you know everything used to be like you got to do pilates and stabilize around the pelvis and a lot of those exercises are wonderful actually just general movement and um, i was on a course recently and they sort of described it as like motion is lotion you know mm. so actually movement is so good for the body and i think again it's empowering women with that knowledge of how to move, what's right for them. Um, and you know, sometimes we need to do stretching and we need to do strengthening and and we need to do the whole picture. Um, but I think that message of being like movement is good. Um, but also we need to support you in your emotional journey with it because pain, uh, whatever pain you experience in your life has an awful lot of impact on you. And also what maybe that's related to and things like that. So it's, this is why we need to improve the awareness that there is support and help out there because really it needs to be individual and um yeah so uh, as i say it's so complicated to almost explain mm. it but um you've done a wonderful job of explaining it you've really summarizes it
0: <laughs> there's a question here about um back pain and belts um pregnancy belts i'm assuming And she's heard that the the belts aren't always the best option. Do you have any light to shed on that? Yes, it's a a wonderful question. So belts have often been
1: related. I mean, there's again, there's lots of belts on the market. And they, they, again, were used a lot with this kind of pelvic girdle pain. You know, when we used to think they haven't got enough stability. So if we put a belt around it, essentially we're helping that stability. Um, And actually, when we review the evidence that's out there, it's very low grade to support that pelvic belt. sorry, pelvic belts or back belts really do anything. Now, my practice, you know, some women, it does really help. But the problem is, as she's kind of picked up on, it doesn't help everybody. And Mm -hmm. the reason it doesn't help everybody is because what's driving your pain is different for everybody. And so what I often say to women is like, look, if you if you can't access any help from a physiotherapist or osteo or whoever you choose to go to, by all means, try a belt. Or if your friend's got one and you want to try one, by all means. But I think what the main message is that it should never just be a belt and that will Mm. resolve your issues. It's like a belt should always be in conjunction. And this, again, is what we understand is is that it should be used in conjunction with other therapy and other treatment. Mm. So, um, yeah, I would say to her, you know, if you've got one, your friend's got one, try it. But I'd say if you're going to invest in one, try and see someone first. But equally, I understand that though that would be a lovely if that's possible for everyone, I appreciate it's not always. So... Mm. You know, sometimes there is a place for them and and definitely to try, especially if you're a mum of a toddler already or two, Mm -hmm. and you know, actually you don't have a choice to modify your day Mm -hmm. and actually having a belt, if it mentally feels like, you know, what I've got something supporting me to go out and and go to the park with the kids for the thousandth time this year, (laughs) then you know what, do it because I want you to feel confident and comfortable. So I'm not against them in any way, but I think it's just making sure that women don't feel that that is the only solution. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. Can a strong pelvic floor hinder pushing phase in labour? Great question. So, so yeah, let's break this down. So
1: a strong pelvic floor, no. So I think probably what this person's trying to get at is a tight pelvic floor. Mm. So I think often we we kind of... We hear strong and we think tight, but actually strong muscles aren't necessarily tight muscles. Um, So having a lovely strong and flexible pelvic floor, which is essentially what we're aiming for. So a pelvic floor that can contract really well, also let go really well that's not going to hinder you. And actually, we have, again, studies that prove that doing pelvic floor exercises right up until the delivery do not increase your risk of tearing or or challenges in labor. So I would always encourage women to crack on and carry on with your pelvic floor exercises. Um, Ultimately, if you have a history of what we sort of label on that sort of tight pelvic floor or shortened pelvic floor or pelvic floor that you're you're not able to relax so well, um, you know, that in its essence, you know, you may struggle in some extent or you may feel um, it's not, you know, it's not as easy. However, what I would say is that your body's designed to do that stretching. I think what I, my main message is if you're struggling with pain with sex or lots of urgency and frequency of going for a wee, and you have those symptoms that we would sometimes link with that sort of picture of pelvic floor, get it assessed in pregnancy or before so that you can have some support on how to let go. And it doesn't have to be a barrier to birth. Um, but again, it's getting that support to understand your body. Uh, but yeah, this kind of label of strong pelvic floor being an issue is not the case. And actually we want a strong pelvic floor. Actually pelvic floor exercises have been proved to sort of help the whole, end of uh, pregnancy, labour, into the postpartum. But it's, again, it's doing it correctly and, and right, which is the, the main message.
0: Mm. You just touched on pain during sex, which I was one of the topics I wanted to talk about because I think it's such an under-talked-about topic. Yes. Um, can you elaborate a little bit? We don't have a specific question on, but I do want to touch on it in case anyone's listening and thinking, oh, that's me, but I just don't want to talk to anyone about it. Yeah. It's such an important
1: question. And I think the, main, the most important thing is that actually... Sex can be painful for a woman at any point in her life. Mm. Um, you know, you may have always been that way and you've just thought, that's sex. I don't know anything different. Or it may just be something that's sort of happened in pregnancy or postpartum. Um, so I think it really depends on kind of when it's come into your life as such. Um, but what I would say is that as phys- pelvic health physiotherapists, it's something we do deal with every day. Um, and I think so if you're, say, a postpartum mum and you're really struggling with it, um, a few top tips that I would give you is... Um, are you using enough lube? Uh, I think it's something we do not educate women with is when you are breastfeeding, your estrogen levels are lower and therefore your vaginal tissues are drier. <clears throat> and so they're not even aware of that. And so if you have drier tissues, sex is not going to be uncomfortable. Uh, it's not going to be comfortable. Um, now, lubricant is great, <clears throat> excuse me, and often we have it we put it on the vulva on the outside but what i often suggest to women is get a little tiny syringe almost like those ones that you use for clostrum Mm. and inject some inside the vagina get the lubricant inside because that is where you need it and that's where the tissues are drier Mm. so that can make a big difference if you've had a vaginal delivery and you've had some tearing and you've had some stitches um scar tissue can be tighter more sensitive so doing massage of that area like you may have done during pregnancy of what we would call perineal massage again, can be really, really helpful. Um, but just know that you don't have to live with pain. Sex should not be painful, full stop, yeah. at whatever point in your life. Um, as I say, sometimes it's just that you're, you can't relax the pelvic floor enough in order to allow penetrative sex. Um, also, sex should be pleasurable, and your pelvic floor is part of orgasm. Um, you know, It contracts during that, so that's really important that, again, it can move freely and, 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 and happily. So, I think just know that this is a topic is widely discussed uh, from, from from our point of view. And so if you come to us, don't be embarrassed because we will happily talk about this all day long. And um, Anything you say to us, I'm sure we've heard it before. Um, and we probably had a couple of women in clinic that day saying, oh, I don't know any friends who have struggled with this. Um, but we have obviously seen them. So. I think just know that there is so much help. Those are obviously just a few top tips. And I think just communication, communication, communication Mm. um, is so key. I think the minute we hide away and feel shame about these things, um, there's no shame. Um, These are just absolutely parts of our life. And I think pregnancy and postpartum, the changes that your body goes through in one year is unbelievable. And I think we're not supporting women in that transition into motherhood from from their own perspective you know it's great we educate them about how to look after your baby how to get the baby out of you and then that whole next phase we're just sort of failing women I think a little bit and there's this expectation of like you go back to being who you were before um but you're like I don't really know how to get there and I I, in my own personal opinion I I don't think we ever become that person we were before, but I don't mean that negatively. Mm. I Just you can't—I describe as—you can't unmum yourself, and I <laughs> and I mean that in like every sphere. I think we put, you know, we put this pressure that we almost need to physically unmum ourselves, but emotionally and mentally, you would never dream of being different. You know what I mean? Because emotionally, we just change, don't we? There's love that we have for this tiny human, and um, mentally, we think about them all the time, and. I just you don't undo that yourself, but the physical side of things were almost like, Well, then you just need to go back to who you were before because you know that's just the way things are. I'm like, No, no, we just need to embrace the changes, know what to do with them, and support you to feel like you again. But this new mum version of you, which doesn't mean it has to be fully negative, which I think it's always been like. Um, I believe that mums can get back to what they love and they should quite frankly do that I mean if it's so sad if we're saying to women at like in their 30s when they're having children well you know that's it your sex life's not great now I mm. mean that's just tragic they should be able to have sex for the rest of their lives so um the main thing yeah is I think that anything you experience there is help out there mm. um and it's just I think first of all knowing that um and don't let anyone tell you that a glass of wine is going to solve your sex life because <laughs> I mean it might do for a few nights <laughs> If you've got pain and problems, we need to get to the root of that. And a glass of wine is only going to be a plaster that maybe helps for a little
0: bit. <laughs> yes, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Back in 2018, when I started the podcast, one of the first things I was kindly sent was an all-in-one kit from Cheeky Wipes. And we have used and purchased more ever since. Cheeky Wipes make washable, reusable baby wipes, makeup removal pads, reusable period protection, and more. As you know, with Avandine, we really have tried to do our part using cloth nappies for a big chunk of time and reusable wipes. We use cheeky wipes for bum, hands and face, white cotton terry cloths for bum and coloured microfibre cloths for hands and face after every meal. The all-in-one kit has everything you need whether you are using cloth or disposable nappies. The wipes are great for sensitive skin. Using just water and a few drops of essential oil, you know exactly what you are using on your little one's delicate skin. The kit is so easy to set up, use and wash. We literally pop them in the wash bag and into the washing machine. We honestly find they clean a pooey bum much better than disposable wet wipes. You can find the all-in-one kit and their full range of products at CheekyWipes.com and you can do your part for the environment and your wallet, saving over £500 over two years by switching to reusable wipes and nothing is being added to landfill. (laughs) You mentioned very briefly uh, perineal massage. Now, we've got a specific question about whether needing to do it for a second pregnancy and birth.
1: Yes. So I would always recommend doing it for a second pregnancy and birth. A lot of what we, the research we have is about first time mums. Mm -hmm. Um, However, um, I think when you think about it practically, you know, if you did have over 80% of women who have a first baby have some element of tearing, probably stitches. So that's changes into the vaginal tissues. As I say, sometimes scar tissue can be tight. And so that's going to still be there as you're pregnant for a second time and going for a second birth. So My mind is let's prepare that area again. Um, You know, the vagina doesn't stay super open (laughs) after you have a baby. You know, it it does, as you do your pelvic floor, everything strengthens again. Um, And as they say, that scar tissue is still present. So in my opinion, massaging, supporting yourself to uh, relax those muscles again, stretch everything in preparation is absolutely beneficial. Um, So I am a big advocate for do it every time, because um, if we can protect and support your pelvic floor,
0: then let's do it. Mm, absolutely, I had hip pain in the last pregnancy, and I have it again this time. Best ways to protect against this
1: mm great question. I mean hip pain is a tricky one because it could be your hip joint, it could be your pelvis, it could be the muscles around the pelvis, so I think really I'd have to just deflect that one to say you need to go and get an assessment because <laughs> um I can't really say what's causing it, and different advice would be different depending on the kind of yeah the cause of it so um. <laughs> I mean, generally movement and exercise is a wonderful thing, but that could also aggravate your pain if you're not doing the right ones. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd just say try and get some help personally
0: for that. All right, let's move on to postnatal. So is there any way to minimize the C-section pouch of skin? Ah, great question. So
1: this is based on multiple things, um, but something that I am really passionate about spreading the word is C-section scar massage again not widely discussed not widely taught um but it, i what I, ultimately if there is loose skin above a rigid line it's going to flop over it yeah mm. so we can't always change the looser skin that unfortunately some of us just have postpartum um especially if we say had a bigger bump or we've had multiple babies or whatever it might be um, However, if we massage that scar to make that scar more mobile, uh, less tight, it can reduce that visibility of that kind of rigid line overhang. Does that make sense? So C-section scar massage, wonderful. Um, I mean – I've got some videos around it, which is probably easiest for us to share potentially mm. after the podcast, because, mm. um, I think seeing it is so helpful. Um, we generally advise massage sort of from six weeks. So again, once that sort of acute healing phase has gone, all the scabs have disappeared. Um, and you can start massaging your lower tummy initially, and then onto the scar and all of that can really help. I think it's really important to note that doing scar massage can be incredibly difficult and emotional for some women, especially if cesarean wasn't essentially on your plan as such, or your preferences. It was a more traumatic experience for you. Sometimes it's actually incredibly hard to even look at a scar, let alone touch it and massage it. So, um, it's worth, again, finding what works for you. And if you feel like you can't do it, that's absolutely fine. There's absolutely no pressure. Um, but sometimes just working with, like, your leggings over the top. So just touching the scar through leggings initially and then building up slowly to touching the scar and, and mass- massaging it. Um, ultimately, if we also get a bit stronger, uh, sometimes we just – you have a bit more tummy fat um again no judgment i still have some a year on from having a baby (laughs) so you know it's it's just there's changes around our tummy area strength wise skin wise um but massage and kind of strengthening exercises can be really helpful and effective Mm, absolutely
0: diastasis Mm. so this question is it was treated and it's now less than one centimeter but still looks awful is there anything i can do
1: bless so what i mean so much in that essentially um so i would say if it still looks awful i mean again what does it what's the main issue with the looks is it the aesthetic kind of what the skin looks like because that's not the diastasis to blame or is it that your tummy still feels rounder because i think again the blame when we have a rounded tummy postpartum is always oh it's diastasis but actually it It's not always, as you said, she's got a one centimeter and that one centimeter is tiny. Some women or most people have one centimeter gap before they're pregnant. Most men have that. You know, if you think about someone with a six pack, they have a separation between the muscles. Mm. Those muscles don't glue together. Um, I was thinking, you know, if you think about someone with a really ripped six pack, you could run your finger down between the muscles. So there is that separate, there's that gap. I mean, it's not a separation. It's just a a natural gap that's there. So I think probably my, my, my statement to be with her is that diastasis is not the issue here potentially, because we've been worried about diastasis, we actually haven't been using the rest of the tummy muscles um, as much. Um, and again, I think this is when uh, our world is changing and our understanding of diastasis, it always used to be to protect the gap, you shouldn't be doing sit ups, you shouldn't be you know, using the core, shouldn't be doing planks. But actually, we're now realizing that is so much more than the gap that actually we need to be using all the tummy muscles postnatally to strengthen all of them obviously in the right way um so i'd probably say to her maybe it's an issue that you just actually need to use more of the tummy muscles again i don't know this person and their whole story but i think that's what i would say is maybe you need to go and seek some more support in moving away from the diastasis being the issue because one centimeter is uh, you know in our mind wouldn't be a, an issue as such um and actually thinking how can we just get you strong again because often when we get women strong using their tummy muscles again they feel so much better and actually that visibility of the roundness of their tummy which often is due to also length if you think when you when you have a bump you know your muscles stretch as well as widen um and often we deal with the width of the gap and then we forget that actually we need to use the muscles again to sort of strengthen and shorten them if that makes sense um mm. so yeah absolutely I would just say I would probably just shift your brain from diastasis to think, actually, what else do I need to do to get myself strong and and feel like my tummy is working again?
0: Mm. All right. Next question. I have a heavy dragging feeling. Is it most likely prolapse? It definitely could be. (laughs)
1: um that is one of the most common causes of it however we obviously need to assess um i mean in pregnancy you can get lots of funny sensations vaginally um not always prolapse but you get a lot more swelling and everything in the vagina anyway so that can present as this sort of heaviness funny feeling Um, Mm and you can also get vulval varoscores i can never say it varoscoreses which are basically like vulva varicose veins Mm -hmm. um which don't necessarily stay forever but they feel incredibly large swollen so if this lady is postpartum, yes, I would say there is, there is a chance that is prolapse. And I would recommend again, speaking to your GP or seeing a physio to have an assessment of that, but knowing that that is not the end. And I think the problem we have still have with prolapse is it's still very much like it's given us like a life sentence, mm. um, and I'm really passionate about talking like life after prolapse and saying that, you know, even if you're diagnosed with a prolapse, which we know so many women, and again, it's not an old lady condition. <laughs> it is a number of young women who've had children have a prolapse. And um, it does not mean that all exercise is off the table forever, but it does mean that you deserve and need support to work on the best thing. So first line in, in the UK is pelvic floor muscle training with a physiotherapist. So we need to be doing that. Some women will require a pessary. So this is just there's different ones, but basically something that we pop inside the vagina just to support the tissues. That can be short-term just to help you in your initial recovery, or some women will use them in the longer term or just use them at certain times in their month because sometimes women will find that they're fine for most of their monthly cycle. Just before their period, their symptoms are a lot worse or around ovulation. So there's a real variety. Um, but there is so much. It doesn't mean that you'll never exercise again or you'll, you'll never run again. We've just got to work out how your body needs to get back to that gradually. So, um, yeah, I'd say to her, if she's worried about that, I completely understand. Find out all the facts and and try and find a really good physio who can support you in that recovery.
0: Mm. So this one might be similar, might not be. I get a dull ache in my vagina while on my period. I had a third-degree tear one year ago. I'm still under my physio. Any thoughts? Yeah, so again, I mean, it could be. Um, I say if it's
1: ESA vaginally, you would... it definitely be something I would think about would be prolapse. Um, So, yeah, I'd say if she's still under a physio, then definitely flagging it to them. Um, Obviously, when you've had a third-degree tear, um, that does involve the back passage, so the kind of muscles between the vagina and and the back passage. So, you know, just addressing if there's any issues within the scar tissue there, whether that's also um contributing to a bit of discomfort or heaviness there and um, those are probably my two first things as i would check with you if i was your physio um, so i think just flagging it to your physio and just saying is there anything that you can suggest to help me with this sometimes it's almost just saying okay i know it's my period i'm going to feel a bit uncomfortable for a few days and then i know it will pass and sometimes as you continue doing your physio, that will just fade. Or it may be like one month, it's bad. The next month, it's not. And you think, oh, that's weird. And then you have a month where it's annoying again. And you're like, oh, that's annoying. But then you'll have two months where it's not. Because the progress with prolapse with postnatal recovery it's not linear <laughs> it's mm. not like you just no, go it's better not. better better better, yeah. better. But I'm, and then i'm fine you know often it's a bit like oh, i'm doing really well and then you'll have like a the four-month sleep regression and you're like oh my body feels broken again um you know because there's so many things that influence our recovery it's not just a factor of like squeeze your muscles and they'll get strong again mm. you know what we're how we're sleeping how we're moving lugging babies if you've got a refluxy baby that just ha- can only sleep in a sling that's going to have an impact on you um you know nutrition wise if you just don't have anyone able to cook you really good, nutritious meals, and you're just surviving on toast and biscuits, as I think I did for a long time. Not necessarily going to help you in your recovery. I remember my first, I literally, it was just after Christmas, and I ate an entire box of Christmas biscuits in one night. I mean, that is not brilliant, good. But you know what? It's what I needed in that night. It got me yeah. through. So, I mean, I'm still a bit alarmed that I did that, but easily,
0: you know what? <laughs> don't be, because uh, I have multiple times, so don't <gasps> be alarmed.
1: <laughs> You've just got to do it, haven't you, sometimes. It's sometimes when you reach for another one, and you're like, there's none left. Yeah. Where have they all gone? Yeah. Oh, I mean. um, but yeah, so I think, you know, the point there just being that, like, if we're only taking in caffeine and sugar, it's not necessarily going to help you in your postpartum recovery, 100%. Mm. But, again, there's no judgment here. We have to survive. But I think so much of that first year is survival mm-hmm. um, and just guessing through. And so you don't always have much brain space for your body and your recovery. Um, yeah, just uh, giving yourself time uh, and knowing that you can still improve. I think sometimes there's this pressure of, like, if I'm not back to myself after a year, like, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But as I say, it's not linear, and it can go on for years, you know, you can continue to improve and strengthen. I think after my first, I felt the best after two years, because that first year just felt like a fog. The second year, I felt like, right, I really want to do something better here. Like, I really want to exercise a bit more, I want to protect a bit more time for that. And it gets easier in some ways, because hopefully, by then, they sleep a bit better. I mean, there's always something isn't there. But hopefully, you get a bit more rest. And so you can do a bit more. Um, But just know that, like however many weeks months you know three months postpartum you Think, oh man this baby's been here forever I, I thought like what is wrong with me why am I not recovered but actually three months is not long in the, the big scheme of postnatal recovery but because we still have this language of like six weeks you're done <laughs> go 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 yeah. it's like we set women up for feeling like failures if they're still feeling like they're not recovered at a year postpartum it's like no that's actually normal when we break it down to look physiologically what's happened in your body a year postpartum is not long no. so don't worry like know that that is okay don't live with things because you feel like well i've just got to now um there's there's never there was never a time scale on how long to you, you have to you know be to get help you can get help at any point if you know, if you're five years postpartum
0: <laughs> mm, absolutely let's whiz through these last few questions because yes. i know we haven't got long um post-birth when i get up out of the bath i can't control the need to wee no other issues what to do
1: Oh, bless. So I mean, it's probably, I mean, sometimes when we're in water or around water, um, you know, it makes you need a wee more urgently or, you know, but I'd also say potentially is she experiencing vagina being more open and bath water going sort of in the vagina and then sort of dribbling out afterwards. It, it could also be that generally working on your pelvic floor exercises is, is going to be the solution for a lot of that, um, seeking help
0: if needed. I have, I think, a pretty good pelvic floor, but my little one is nine months old, but trampolines are a no-go with my nephew. Any tips or advice?
1: Yeah, great. So common. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably say, I mean, it's an indication that your pelvic floor is not able to withstand that amount of pressure or the jumping on the trampoline. I think my advice would her, are you doing pelvic floor exercises in standing? Are you essentially training yourself for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we would do is basically get you doing your pelvic floor in standing and gradually introduce some impact and get your, your pelvic floor essentially used to impact um, so that you can then do jumping on a trampoline. Um, mm-hmm. So we'd sort of do more like you know hopping and then maybe jumping or you know a variety of things on ground and then introducing a trampoline which sort of changes things so um it's not off the the cards forever but it's making sure that you rehabilitate for that basically
0: i'm starting to leak urine almost three years postnatally help bless
1: um i really would just go and see somebody because the reason for it could be a whole variety um but again it doesn't mean that you can't get better um it's just um go and see someone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I have pelvic floor play, pain quite badly at 29 weeks will my labor likely be worse because of this or after it? Um not necessarily
1: and and again pelvic floor pain it could be so many things. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely wouldn't assume, but I would definitely just ask for some support. Because if you've got that fear and worry, that's not going to support you in that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going into kind of um, labor, you know, if we're worried, we're more likely to tense, which is only going to play into all of that. So I'd probably encourage her to do some of that lovely deep breathing that we talked about earlier, work on relaxation, work on just being relaxed and trying to kind of not not fear it but also finding out what the pain is and why because that's a that's an important thing
0: at a third degree tear uh third degree plus tear i think pregnant with second chance it happens again can i opt for a c-section um so the
1: chances do slightly increase after um you know, if you've had a first one. So what I always say to women is um, you need to flag this to your medical team. Uh, the decision to go for cesarean is totally valid and needs to be a discussion. It shouldn't be an absolute no, um, but equally it isn't always an absolute yes. I know women who've had third degree tears, you've gone on to have another vagina delivery, but it's a discussion that needs to be had. And it depends on kind of what the third degree tear was, because there's different levels. Um, often it depends on some testing that's been done around the back passage. So sort of pressure testing how strong the muscles are um so it's not a clear cut yes most women are supported in going for a cesarean if that's really what you want and it's indicated Um, and again if women are still symptomatic say if they're still struggling to hold feces or wind around the back passage then again that would be probably recommended and supported so um absolutely yes but just flag 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 to the team and ask for a conversation about it
0: and this is the last question, and I've never heard this before. I'm not sure if it's written correctly or if it is, and it'll know something to you. Why is purple pushing coach so much when it can damage the pelvic floor? Does that mean yeah. anything?
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So, so this purple pushing, it's basically that idea of really straining, so you you go purple essentially. Oh right. So that sort of second stage of labour, which is labelled sort of a pushing phase. Um, but essentially, yes, the, the, what they're getting at here is if we bear down, we valsalva, we call it, we you strain onto the pelvic floor. Like over time, that does weaken it, and so. Um, again, there's a there's a big sort of change and the conversations in the birthing community as such that to be like, actually, and this is where hypnobirthing comes in, like, mm. do women really need to push or is actually the body able to do it naturally if we almost support it to do that? Um, but the thing is, birth is on a spectrum. So, um, you know, if yes, you have a very natural physiologic birth um, and, and if you've seen women do it, it's almost like it does just happen. However, the, when we intervene, so if women have epidurals, they don't feel their contractions, you know, there's there's a whole spectrum, women needing to be monitored, they're not able to move as well because of, you know, the welfare of the baby. That's why there is a, that that is in place as such, because sometimes women need to be coached to push, um, whether that's for safety of the baby or just, you know, because the delivery, they can't feel their contractions. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think there is definitely challenge happening around this. And yes, I think um, it will continue to be a conversation. Um, And I think we need to continue supporting women to understand birth, understand naturally what their body is able to do. Um, But obviously that doesn't work for all women. So that's why I think it's still in place. Um, But yes, I would love a day where women are empowered as much as possible to almost let their body do it. And I, I saw that in myself, to be honest with you, in my two births. My first, I really felt you know, that I was almost doing the pushing. And in my second, it kind of just happened. Um, And I think probably it was partly confidence. I kind of done it before, you know, Mm. I kind of knew what it felt like. Um, But I also think my care was different in sort of how the midwives dealt with me and things like that. Mm. So it's something that I'm really fascinated about and passionate about. And I think it is very, yes, protective of the pelvic floor in that sort of sense. But um, lots more discussion to have around it. But yes, wonderful question, because it's very interesting. But I think it's not clear cut and a yes and no as most things are not unfortunately absolutely
0: Oh, Claire, thank you so much for sharing so much incredible knowledge and answering everybody's questions. I've learned a huge amount. Um, Thank you so, so much. I'm going to go and do some pelvic floor exercises whilst I do the washing up from lunch. (laughs) There you go. go. So changing lives all over the place. (laughs) Oh, but thank you very much for taking the time in your busy day to come on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely to chat. A huge thank you to Claire for coming on and sharing all of her expert knowledge. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to our friends at Nourish and Cheeky Wipes for supporting today's podcast. Next week on the podcast, you actually have me. I will be catching up with you all on all things amaldine and of course pregnancy and my absurd ability to nest. Have a lovely rest of your week and please do leave a review, subscribe and rate. It really helps other mums to find the series and be supported by our wonderful community. If you're not already yet following, please do head over to Mum Talk Podcast on Instagram. I'm going to be asking if you guys want any questions answered in my podcast next week. Anything personal, pregnancy related, podcast related general mum related, anything at all. So do make sure you're following so you can get questions in if you want to ask me something. Have a great week. See you next week. Bye.